We will take our Bibles this morning and open them to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter this morning. We're getting some Bible reading in today. I hope you'll follow along. I'll tell you one thing I'm convinced of. We need more Bible reading in our life. And I don't know what your Bible reading's like at home, but I want to make sure you get some in when you're here. And hopefully it'll get you where you'll read more when you're not here. Look at this with me, 2 Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Let me repeat something I've said a number of times lately. You know, we might read that and think, well, Peter thought he was in the last days. He was. And this letter is as relevant today as it was when it was pinned down. We are still in the last days. Since Jesus ascended back to heaven, we have been in the last days. And again, that means that we are now 2,022 plus or minus of our days closer to the last of it. Okay? So just keeping that in mind, there will come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. In other words, God had made the world, he'd filled it with water, covered it with water, and when the day of judgment came, he took that same water and he destroyed the earth. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Why? Because God said, I'll not destroy the earth with water again. The next time judgment comes, it will be by fire. What kind of fire? Boy, verse 10 is going to tell us. Let's get there. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years with God is just like a day. We're, we're really hung up on this thing. And it's been 2,000 years. Why hasn't Jesus come? It's only been a couple of days. It's nothing to God. Not the time thing. It's timing. Now he's going to explain timing right here. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning this promise. As some men count slackness. God's not delayed. God's not having trouble getting the engine started. God's not up in heaven trying to figure out when will be the best time. He says he is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't want to fail to do my, my work this morning by not pointing out that Peter is writing this to the church, to the church of believers, okay? And he says he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. We cannot exclude people sitting in the church pew from this thing and say, well, God's still trying to reach all them out there. And I'm telling you this morning that God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. And the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to hearts in this place about your eternal soul. And He's long-suffering 
not willing that a one would perish. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. You've got to understand this morning the urgency of Peter's words here. The day of the Lord will come. He says this right after he says God is being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. But know that the day is coming. This time of God's patience and grace will expend. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And what kind of fire is it? And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, church, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? How are you to live knowing that everything that you can touch and hold, that you have an ignition to, that you have an owner's manual for, that every piece of it will be burned up? How are you to live your life? Verse 12 says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. What kind of heat? The kind of heat and fire that will burn the heavens up. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Boy, that verse is, that's hard preaching. You don't even have to doctor the verse up. He says, if you really believe all this, if you really believe everything I'm saying to you, then you should be giving diligence. Every moment of every day, you should be giving diligence to be sure that you are found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Do you know who makes us without spot and, and, and will present us faultless before the throne? Jesus will. Here's the problem, though. Some people want to hide in that and say, well, you know, he'll take care of it. When I get the glory, I'll be like him. And we skip every other passage of the Bible that says that you have got to get up off your do-nothing and live for God. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not living for God now, you won't be living for Him in eternity. And you can claim every promise you want to claim when you stand before His throne, but you can't claim just the ones you wanted to live by. We are called to holy living. Blameless, without spot. Preacher, since you're there, can you tell us how to get there? You know what I can tell you? The best of my knowledge before God right now in this moment, I stand before him without spot and blameless. But in the last 24 hours, I haven't been that way. 
and neither have you. But you know the difference? The longer I go in this thing, the more I am finding this desire to detach from this world. Now, there's a dichotomy happening here. The more consecrated we become to Christ, the more devout we become in our life, the more intense the battle becomes. I'm going to tell you the easiest thing in the world to do is be a consumer Christian that comes to church on a regular basis and does service in the church and then goes on about your daily life. You're in not much conflict at all, not in the real conflict. And anybody can live that way. But you're going to find out if you ever get serious about living for Jesus, it is going to intensify. And it must intensify. You cannot become gold without being put into the fire so that the dross can be removed from your life. Some of us are content that we're not reading Playboy magazine and we think we're a good Christian. And yet our hearts and minds are filled with the filth of this world day in and day out, and the dross is still there. But we'll be okay when we see Jesus. He'll fix us. You may fool yourself right into a devil's hell. Verse 15, let me finish the reading. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I want to make an application of that verse, just in case the direct interpretation is not the one that you see. But let me, let me say this. The longer God waits, it is the opportunity for salvation. But I want to say this to you, dear believer, dear Christian, the longer God waits, the more your salvation is increasing. The longer God waits, the more salvation is becoming realized in your life. You're in one of the groups. You're either in that group that needs to be born again. And thank God for long-suffering that people can still be saved today. Or you're in that group where you have trusted Christ, but the longer we go, the more we're learning and we're being purified and we're being changed and we're becoming to be like Him and we're being fit for eternity. And that's a wonderful thing, although it is painful and it is a trial. He goes on to say, as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things. Now see if this resonates this morning. In which are some things hard to be understood. Do you find that there are some things that are hard to understand? Sometimes when the preacher preaches, are there things that are hard to understand? When you open your Bible, are there things that are hard to understand? The Bible acknowledges that this is true. But he says to us, the, the, the warning is, he's talking about these people, these that are unlearned and unstable. Let me tell you what they are. They're afraid of what it says. They're afraid of what it says, so we're not going to touch that. And what do they do with it? He says, they, they rest. They wrangle it. They twist it. They do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. There's a lot of stuff that's been handed to us for a long time that was half truth. And it has done us no good. 
Many rest in a false assurance because of a prayer they prayed some number of years ago. I've come to a conclusion. People love the salvation message. Not because they hope others will get saved, but because it eases their own conscience. When the preacher can stand in the pulpit and say, if you've ever trusted Jesus as your Savior, I mean, if there's ever been a time when you call on the Lord, uh, hey, friend, once you're saved, you're always saved. And then you can sit back on the pew and say, well, I'm good, because I did that. And yet your life shows absolutely not a single trace of being a follower of Jesus, but you rest in confidence in a false assurance and a false profession, a prayer you prayed, and then we'll stand up and say, we don't believe in a works salvation. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now this isn't fun, is it? Ain't a thing he's writing here that's fun. When he says... You need to wake up, pay attention, I'm stirring you up a little bit. Why? Because you need to make sure you're not being led in error. And you're falling away. But he closes with hope. He says, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I haven't said it yet this week because it's Sunday, so let me get it in. We have not taken our salvation serious enough. If we are in fact on the very precipice of the coming of Jesus right now, then I have no time, no time to coddle and play. I have no time. I will stand before the Lord and give an account. And I read these scriptures and I see how many times they call out those preachers that got up and played around because they didn't either believe it themselves or they were afraid to touch it and they lead people to damnation. And I'm saying to you this morning, if Jesus is coming at any moment, you have no time to waste. Hundreds of scriptures tell us essentially this, to make sure, to make sure, to make sure that we know that we are in Christ. And I urge you this morning to do the same thing. The day of the Lord will come. This is the promise. This is the promise I want to lay before you today with all of its implications because in this there is help. Help to stir us up. And in this there is hope, hope to lift us up because this world can sure bring you down. It's both a message of rejoicing and a message of reflection. And I want to pose to you the question this morning that the old hymn asks, are you ready for that day to come? Peter said, the day of the Lord will come. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come. Mark it down. There's help in this and there's hope in this, but are you ready for that day? Are you ready for it? I dare say a number of us here are not ready. We're not living 
the way Peter describes. We're not living a life of purity. We're not living blameless. We're not living a life of growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. Not a person here that's without sin. There's a big difference in being a follower of Jesus who is battling with sin and being someone who just, I know I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop that. Big difference. Big difference in being someone who's content to live in, an, in the world, ungodly, full of the world, not really bothered by it, because you got a good religion thing going on the side. Big difference between that and being a follower of Jesus who, as John said, will purify himself even as he is pure. How have you purified yourself this week? What have you done to bring purity in your life this week? Drop that in this bucket. Now, what have you done this week to bring impurity in your life, your thought life? With your eyes and your ears, what have you said that revealed what was in your heart? Put that in this bucket, and I want to know which bucket's the fullest. We haven't taken this serious enough. It will be too late to take it serious when we stand before Jesus and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And that comes after we've pleaded and we've begged and we've said, but Lord, I was in the church and, and I was a teacher and I was a preacher and I lived pretty good and I tithed and I was friendly to folks and I, I, I mean, I even went on mission trips. You read it for yourself. Not my words, his words. He said, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is not impressed or interested in how much you've done for him. He wants you to be in him. He didn't die on the cross so you could be some kind of religious hero. He died on the cross to pay for our sin, to, to pave the way into eternal life. We can be forgiven and we can be received as sons of God. Do we live as sons and daughters of God? I fear that rather than living the way Peter describes here, living like a people waiting for the return of their Lord, I fear we are living in this world and of this world and for this world like this world is our oyster and we're just trying to find that precious pearl. Just, boy, it's all going to come together and life's going to be right. I fear that most people in the church today, they live like and think like that if they could just get God to straighten out a few things down here, sort of fix things up to suit them, they would be completely content with living in this world. And this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of a man who said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. This is not the way of a man who said of a rich man who tore down his barns and built bigger and better barns so he could take his ease and feel like he had it made. And he said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. This is not the way of a man who said that no man that puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is not the way of Jesus. 
to feel and believe and act and talk and fight like, if we can just get a few things straightened out down here, it'll all be great. We are deceived. And we are not living in the kingdom for the king. We are living in our own little kingdoms for ourselves. And Satan is very pleased with that because he has us. We are to live as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. The closer we get to Jesus and the closer Jesus is to returning, the greater should be our detachment and our disinterest in this world. The greater should be the desire in us. When will the day come? Come, Lord! A people, Peter says, looking for and hasting unto. Wednesday night I talked about the danger of hurry in our life. I spent some time... Thursday morning on the subject. And I got to thinking, is there ever a time in Scripture when we are to hurry? What's the scriptural precedent for hurrying in life? And there's a very few verses, and I did a very quick study on it, but very few verses. But here's what I come to the conclusion of. Let me give you a couple examples. There are a couple instances where we're to hurry. In Luke 19, when Jesus stands underneath uh, the tree where Zacchaeus is, Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry down. I'm going to your house. There's another place where Jesus sends the disciples on a mission or he's instructing them and he tells them to hurry up in doing so. There's a place where the Apostle Paul is on the, a ship trying to make it to a certain city before of the day of Pentecost and he's trying to get the mission done for God. In that sense, I found just a handful of verses where it's okay to hurry when Jesus is calling us. When Jesus is calling, you ought to hurry. And I want to say this, if in your heart today you feel Jesus is calling you to come to Him and to repent of your sin and to be saved, hurry, hurry, hurry to Christ this morning. The other instance I found where there is to hurry is, 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 is shown right here in the text. Looking for and hasting unto the day of His coming. In other words, if there's something we ought to be in a hurry about, it's, it should be to get to Jesus coming back. I wonder if we're in a hurry for that this morning. I wonder if we're in a hurry. I wonder if we could join Peter this morning when he says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Could we say with him this morning, boy, oh boy, I can't wait until we're, we're done down here and I can't wait until all my stuff gets burned up and I can't wait until this junk I've been paying for so I can quote on it. I can't wait till it's all gone and done. I can't wait till the fervent heat takes it all away. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Is that our heart? Now I'm going to confess, I wish that was my heart every day, every hour of the day. And just see, I'm not finished yet. Oh, I find myself just as distracted. Sometimes I find myself just as worldly-minded. And you know what I'm learning to do over the years? I'm learning to resist it. I'm learning to fight. And I tell you, it fights back. It fights back. But I'd rather be in that fight. I'd rather be in that fight with Jesus and for Jesus. Knowing in my heart he's coming. And I won't always have this fight. And dear child of God, those whose heart resonates with mine this morning, I want you to know you won't always have that fight. 
I know sometimes it's hard, and I know sometimes the world's ugly, and I know sometimes people hurt you. But there is coming a day. The day of the Lord will come. And that's why the songwriter said, what a day, glorious day that will be. I look through the world. I look at the world through Scripture, rather. I look at the world through my eyes and my ears. And and as my spiritual discernment matures and becomes more clear, I see the great evil. And I recognize it for what it is. I recognize it in me, that flesh where there dwells no good thing. It's, it, it's uglier and, and, and bigger than it ever has been. More and more I feel that urgency in my life to come out from among them. I see this absolute necessity to purify my soul in Christ Eliminating more and more of the attachments and the weights and the besetting sins that keep me from living completely dedicated to God. I want those things gone. Today, today I have far less desire to laugh at sinful things. To be entertained by watching what is wicked and ungodly. Deep inside the new man, the redeemed man, he desires to be holy and to be true and to live in union with God. But we are surrounded by so much evil, so much corruption, so much deceitfulness. And I want to say this morning, before you allow your thoughts to drift to the sins and evils of the world, stop and consider your own heart. What evil lies right there? Let me use the right term. Your own soul. Your own self. Because if Jesus has given you a new heart, your heart is the good part that cannot be defiled. But our own flesh, our own inner man, our own soul harbors deceitfulness and darkness that's as bad as anything in the world today. We ought to hate that and despise that and we ought never to satisfy that and to coddle that part of us and to feed that part of us. Do you covet after earthly things? Buying and consuming, always after more? The false god of mammon is at work in many hearts today. Do you laugh at the perverted jokes on television? Do you watch the fornication and the adultery and blow it off as well? It's just a movie. Do you fill your heart and mind with the scandal and the counsel and the scornfulness of the news media? You seethe in anger. You coddle the growing bitterness in your soul. And perhaps you begin to nurse those grudges, those prejudices, those accusations against others. And so you cannot love as Jesus commanded us to love. Do you see the evil that is inside of us? That lusteth to envy, as James said. I know the world is dark and evil, but I'm bringing a message this morning on the only hope we have. Jesus is coming. But are you ready for that day? Thursday... Thursday afternoon, I was driving back to the church from the house. The mission team was getting ready to 
go into Greensboro Thursday evening and, and do some outreach. And on my way back, I was listening to an account of that most recent school shooting. I, I suppose it's still the most recent school shooting, the one at the elementary school in Texas. I, I, I knew it had happened and, and had heard about it, but I'd not really read or heard any details. And so as I listened to the events of that day being described, I found myself from deep inside of me where the right man is. I found myself overcome with grief. That, that, that story just wrenched my heart. And in the middle of him describing it, unprompted from deep within me, Driving up the road, this is what I said. Oh, God, how long? How long do we have to live at this? I thank Jesus for that part of me that doesn't want to live in this world. It broke my heart. And it has stuck with me. And the Lord used it to prompt this message this morning. Friday morning, the next morning, I woke up with the experience of that prayer still in my heart. That prayer, oh God, how long? The Lord kept it there to bring me to our message today. And I began to consider all the times that those same words are spoken in Scripture because as soon as I began to pray that from my heart, it resonated with me. Oh, I've read this prayer. I've read the saints of God have prayed this prayer many times. Oh Lord, how long? And I began to look and I found many places in Psalm 74 is one of them where Asaph, oh, I, I'm telling you, Asaph is a kindred spirit. Asaph would have been a fundamental Baptist among the Jews back in his day. I shouldn't use that term. I should say Asaph would have been somebody who really, does, he, would have been, he was a Peter in his day. Let's, let's put it that way. Hard nose, this ought to be right, let's get this right. He was a James. You ever read Psalm 73, you know what I'm talking about. But when you read all of Asaph's Psalms, you see the same theme there. He sees what's wrong in the world, and it bothers him so much, and he wants it to change. And listen to what he says in Psalm 74, verse 1. Oh God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. This Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. God, how can you forget us? How can you leave us in this? He goes on to say in verse 11 and 12, here it is. Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? How long shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, why won't you do something? How long, God? He's reflecting the struggle of a believer's heart, living in a time when the wicked seem to prevail and evil is exalted all around. And yes, it's disturbing to see and hear of leaders who act like children, pouting and name-calling and openly supporting uh, immoral life. It's hard on the heart to hear about 19 elementary school children murdered, point blank. And the horror of the thought of each one watching as the others were brutally shot. Knowing their turn was coming. 
and wondering why no one was coming to save them. And I say, Lord, how long? How long do we have to live in this? And I've been ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of myself this morning. Because I've not, I've not hated it like I should. I've not separated from it like I should. We watch it on our television. The same violence. The same ungodliness. And we call it action adventure. We call it entertainment. Some turn on the adultery and the fornication and call it amusement and, and say, well, it's a good story. And 19 little children are killed by evil and we embrace evil like it doesn't matter. Oh God, how long? How long till we will break the ties with this world and its wickedness and we will rise up as a people of God and say, Lord, help us to live holy. Break our heart over our sin. That which has held us for so long, God, deliver us from it. We say we're ready for Jesus to come again. We say it because we're just like the people of the Bible who often said, How long, Lord? How long? But you see, here's what I found as I read those scriptures. I found that this question, it is asked many times in the Bible, it is asked many times by men, and it is asked many times by God, but there is a clear and distinct difference in the question. What I found as I read is that when men would ask the question, how long, the question most always had this meaning. How long until you fix this world so we can live better in it? But when God would pose the question to His people, it was always, how long until you let go of this world and realize there is no life in it? What a wake up. Your Father in Heaven does not want you to be comfortable here. This is not home. This is not our country. We hide behind that flag and we hide behind that flag and we hide behind our religions and our traditions and we make excuses for ungodly lives. And the day of the Lord will come. And what will we stand before Jesus and say? I was a patriot, Lord. I bled red, white, and blue. Well, that'll impress him. Lord, I was in church almost every time. Lord, I went to church at least a couple times a month. Let me remind you of what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. When it says that we're to consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners, who hung upon that cross for the joy that was set before Him, the joy of the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, where the people, the bride of Christ, will be united with Jesus. And he goes on to say, the writer does, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. I'll be honest with you, most of us ain't even scratched. We ain't even worked up a sweat against sin. 
We've redefined it. So the things that we're comfortable with, we don't even consider sin. We have names for that. We have excuses for that. And we see the big stuff out there and we say, well, I'm not doing that and I'm not in that. I wrote about it Friday morning in the Pastor Minute. What are you looking forward to? That's what Peter gives us in verses 10 through 13. Twice he says, looking for it, looking for it. That's the way we would say it. We would say, boy, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this. What was he looking forward to? He was looking forward to the day Jesus would come back. He was looking forward to the time when there'd be a new heaven and a new earth and the entire thing would be filled with the righteousness of God. Be no more evil. No more wicked. No more striving against sin in my own heart and life. The fact is, most Christians get outraged and offended by the things that are messing up their little world down here. We're not focused on the coming of Jesus and the renewal that he's going to bring. We're focused on trying to get this fallen world fixed. We think if we could get the right man in office, if we could overturn this bad law and, and get this good law put in, if we could get prayer back in school, if we could get Jesus in the White House, then all would be well. And then what? We'd live content in this world? That makes no sense at all. You know what I notice when I read? That every time that the New Testament writers point out how bad the world is, they never talk about trying to fix the world. They always take it to, let's try to get ourselves fixed. Because Jesus is coming. It ain't about anchoring in in this world. It's not about living here. You're hoping for this and hoping for that. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to gas prices coming down. Woo, that'll be a great day. I'm looking forward to Biden getting ousted. I'm looking forward to that new Marvel movie that's coming out. Oh, I'm looking forward to Johnny Depp getting back in the Pirates of the Caribbean, getting out of that courtroom. Woo! I tell you how many people have wasted hours of their life glued to a screen trying to see what will happen in a bunch of nonsense over a bunch of filth and ungodliness and they ain't given a lick of time to God's Word and they think they'll stand before Jesus one day and be ushered into the eternal kingdom because they're some kind of good Christian. You're deceiving yourself. You may fall right out of a pew into hell. Now, I ain't got time to play with this. The day of the Lord will come. Are you ready for it? I need to bring this to a close this morning because I want you to respond. Brother Corey read from Habakkuk this morning. Habakkuk is such a gift to us. I read that book the other morning. Friday morning, I read all three chapters. It's not real long. And boy, I never understood it like I understood it Friday morning. It's a gift to us, that book is. To us who live in the light of the coming day of the Lord, Habakkuk, like many of us, looked at the evil of his day, and in particular the Chaldeans that, that God had allowed, had orchestrated to come in and dominate his people. God did that. I want to say one other thing. I want to interrupt and say this. 
I see a lot of Christians act like children, complaining and name-calling and bickering. Do you know that when you resist the government that God has established in your life, you resist God Himself? You say, well, God ain't in this government we got. Don't you be so sure. You look back through all of history, including your Bible history. The Apostle Paul said in prison, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in prison, in Rome's prison, Nero's prison, and said that we ought to pray for kings, for those in authority over us. He didn't say pray against them. He didn't say, God, we ought to pray God and strike them down. He said, pray for them. Why? He goes on to explain that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Oh, that sounds good. That's what I'm after. I just want to make money, live good. No, 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 there's more. And that because God would have all men everywhere to be saved. You see, the emphasis is the same as Peter's. God's after people getting saved. And like in Habakkuk's day with the Chaldeans, and like in Paul's day with Nero, and like in our day with whoever sat on the Oval Office seat over the last umpteen years, God raises up, and God brings down, and God does it all that His people might glorify Him and that other people might be saved. We get so caught up bickering, complaining, and fussing, and fighting, wanting everything to be made right in this world. We're missing the opportunity that's been given to us to be lights in the darkness. What kind of testimony would you have if tomorrow you walked into your place of employment or into your, you know, uh, Monday morning coffee meeting, and instead of joining in all the bickering and the complaining, you just begin to talk about the coming of Jesus. Oh, Jesus is coming. Oh, there's going to be justice in the world. Oh, I tell you, one day there'll be no more children getting shot and killed by evil in this world. One day Satan's going to be brought down. One day the king of all kings will rule, and I'm serving him from now until that day. I tell you, we'd make a difference in this world. 